everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. Um, Let me take you back to a very different time. I'm like 10 years old and the MASH finale is on TV. Yeah, okay. There's some some people in the crowd. I'm too young to appreciate, you know, the nuances of MASH, but I'm in a room full of people watching the last episode of MASH because everybody in North America is watching the last episode of MASH. It was like 60% of all televisions on that night were were watching that episode. And um, they all, uh, you know, talked about it uh, around the water coolers the next day. Um, years later, in my first year of marriage, Vicky and I would host a Seinfeld last episode party with 40 people crammed into our little condo on a 27-inch television. And we don't have kind of those moments anymore. Pop culture's too fragmented and segmented. Uh, there's too many options. The only thing, maybe, is, is the Super Bowl, where, like, you know, I didn't watch one NFL game this year. But I joined other middle-aged men at Kevin Simmons' house, and we watched the Super Bowl. And as the youngest middle-aged man there, uh, my job was to explain who Rihanna is and, um, <laughs> and why Diamonds is such a banger. And um, there was even some debate in our room about you know, who was the best-selling female artist of all time. And Don, I think you said, like, I said, isn't it Shania Twain? And so he looked it up on his phone and he's like, oh, it's just country. She sold like 100 million records. And I said, are you ready for, are you ready for this? Well, that don't impress me much. <laughs> huh? Huh? I mean, that has nothing to do with anything this morning except <laughs> you could wait your whole lifetime to be set up for a line like that. And... Uh, What is my point? Oh yes, there's something powerful that happens when we do things together, when we're watching the same thing or working towards the same end together, even if we do it apart. Can I challenge us to do something as a church? Uh, you'll, You'll likely do it solo, but if you knew that your brothers and sisters we're doing it with you. I feel like it would just be special. So I'm going to challenge us to read over the next 10 weeks the book of James together. And there, it will be very short passages. It might be like um, two verses a day. Um, I meant to have a reading plan out. I'll get that ready for you this week. But maybe we could just begin together by reading chapter one. That will cover what we talk about today and what's covered next week. Would, would you humor me by nodding that you'll do, oh, right on, right on. Book of James, very easy. I like the clapping. Hey, Mark, good to see you. Okay. Um, 
By the way, Quatch family, great to see you guys. They're a growing family. And um, there is no other writing, I think, in the Bible quite like the letter of James. It is, it is blunt. It is direct. Um, it, it goes into detail about what it means not just to have faith in God, but how that works out in, in real life, you could say. It's like a primer of how to actually live out this Christ life. It was, it was applicable 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. It is every bit as applicable in 2023 in the GTA. I believe that. Sometimes the book of James is called the great wisdom book of the New Testament. You know, we've got, we're familiar with the wisdom books of the Old Testament, uh, particularly Proverbs, but James is full of this practical, you know, from the trenches wisdom for daily Christian life. The topics, they just kind of jump around, trials, patience, getting along with others, self-control, finding and discovering God's will. It's all here in James, and it's super applicable, Uh, which means that if if you let it, James can shape your faith, maybe like no other book in the Bible. It's called James because it was written by yeah, the questions will get harder, folks. So J- <laughs> James wrote James. And for those of you who don't know, James was the brother of Jesus. That Jesus, yes. Maybe it's more accurate to say James was the half-brother of Jesus. As you know, Scripture tells us that Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph and Mary did have other kids, siblings to Jesus. And... Um, and so in that sense, they are like half-siblings to Jesus. Who's your dad, James? Oh, Joseph uh, the carpenter. Who's your dad, Jesus? Um, God, the heaven, uh, the creator of heavens and earth, and uh, Yahweh, you, you, you may have heard of him. So James is half-brother, and by this time, where we're reading James, he's also the main leader of the Jerusalem church. Um, if you read through different parts of scripture, you see his name come up. He was one of the select individuals that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. Galatians said he was called a pillar of the early church. Paul, on his first trip to Jerusalem, went immediately to see James. He, you know, this is a sign that James is, uh, is an early leader of the Christian movement. When Peter was rescued from prison, he told friends to be sure to alert James about it. So um, he was so well known, in fact, that Jude, another half-brother of Jesus, could identify himself simply as a brother of James. Um, So this is not in the Bible, but uh, tradition has it that James was known as Old Camel Knees. I don't know how that translates in in Hebrew, but uh, nice nickname, right? Why was he called that? Because apparently he had these thick calluses built up on his knees from so many years of steadfast prayer. And tradition also has it that he was martyred by beheading around AD 62 under the brutal uh, persecution of Christians by by the Emperor Nero. He was a remarkable man. And so I hope that gives you just a little context of who is speaking here. So let's just jump right in. Maybe you even have your Bible with it. It'll be up in the screens, but, but chapter one, verse one, James, a servant of God 
and of the Lord Jesus Christ to those 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So let's just stop there for one second. I already told you a bit about James himself. And here he simply identifies as a servant of God and of Jesus. And we also learn from this letter who it's going to. Um, um, and, and knowing the early date of this letter, many consider it the oldest New Testament writing. Um, we know a little bit about what's going in, on in their lives when they receive this letter. We're told that James is sending it out to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So just maybe a little background there. Shortly after the, the birth of the new church, which is recorded in, in Acts, there's this persecution that begins among Christians. It starts with one of the early church leaders, a, a man named Stephen, and he's arrested and he's stoned to death uh, in, in front of his, uh, his church, essentially. And that set in motion wave after wave of persecution it culminates, at least for this early church, um, in this great era of persecution by uh, Nero. And it all started with the killing of Stephen. And this is how the Bible records what happened after he was killed. Um, that set off a terrific persecution of the church in Jerusalem, Acts 1 says, Acts 8.1. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So that is who James is writing to. Uh, he stayed behind in Jerusalem to care and comfort those who had been imprisoned, but, but most others fled for their lives. So he's writing as their pastor to Jewish Christians who had been living in Jerusalem, but now had to scatter. And uh, uh, it was all due to this horrific persecution that had started and, and began really in earnest with the, with the stoning of Stephen. But then it spread to any and every Christian who would be caught. So in essence, he's writing to what had become the underground church, the persecuted church. Probably even it was a letter sent in secret so that it could reach different groups, which is why the first thing James wants to talk about makes sense here. So let's keep reading. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So knowing he was writing to people who were having to have their faith tested severely, are really put through the grinder because of not only being persecuted, but being geographically dislocated. James begins by making sure that they know how to put it all in perspective. He, he wanted to make sure they were thinking um, as, as a Christ follower should. Um, it was dominating their world, as you can imagine, that they were having just a number of reactions and feelings, just like we do when we face hard times. You're out of work. Your marriage is in trouble. The, the test comes back from the hospital. It's positive. Any number of issues with your kids. Folks, life is hard. 
And so how do we respond to that? Most of the time, if we're honest, we get mad. We play the victim card. We play the blame game. And James starts off by giving us this radically different response. He says, consider it an opportunity for joy. Now, I please don't misread me here. This is not some naive, happy, clappy, sweep the troubles under the rug. He's not saying whatever you are going through is joyful in and of itself. And, and please don't take it to mean that we put on some phony, plastic, fakey, fake smile and act like everything's fine. He's not saying that you should be happy about bad circumstances. Um, you know, I think one of the best compliments I've received about this church in the last few months from various newcomers. Here it is. You ready? Y'all seem so real. Oh, man. Speaking my love language here. Um, if you know this is a value of mine. You know that it comes from a holy discontent of seeing so many churches out there that seem to celebrate and reward fakeness. Because it's so much easier to explain than messy realness, right? So don't confuse happiness with joy. Happiness is based on circumstances. Happiness is driven by emotion. Joy is deeper. Joy is getting into spiritual territory here. It's based on how you react to something, not how you feel about it. James says you can still have joy when the challenges come, and he tells us why. It's because of what those trials allow to happen and what can happen through them. And what is that? Well, let me read it again. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Let's talk about that. For a lot of people, let's be honest, their faith is kind of meaningless. It's not that they don't have any. It's just more of this sort of value-add component to an already very full, busy life of hockey practice and work and raising kids and hobbies and passions and maybe getting a little rest in. Oh, and over in this corner, you know, a little bit of faith. And it doesn't take up too much real estate in your heart or in your mind. And as a result, not surprisingly, it's, it's a weak faith. It's superficial. It's underdeveloped. But faith can go from the back burner into the driving force of your life. And from that, allowing you to achieve its highest potential. And how does that happen? This is what James is leading us to. James says that you are going to be who God made you to be when challenges and trials come your way. You're going to be developed when bad things happen. That's when your faith is tested. Ugh. Isn't there a book I could read instead? Isn't there a class I could take? No, you gotta, you got to live this because only when you have endured trials on the basis of your faith does it deepen and grow and become something formidable. Like, that's why James says that no matter what 
you were going through, you can consider it joy because of what it is doing in you and through you. James says we can become perfect, not in the sense of you know, sinless perfection the way Jesus was, but in the sense of increasingly becoming who we were made to be in Christ. And this is how we reach our spiritual potential. It's like the, it's like the way that steel is, is forged in fire. It's the heat, you know, that makes it strong. Great lives, um, meaning lives that have stood out and shaped history that made a difference in the world are almost always marked by some great trial. Uh, for those of you who read biographies like I do, you know that in almost every great life where someone was used by God, they were marked by trial. That's what formed them. And not just trial, but trial that is met by endurance. And the greatest lives of all endured through faith. He, he had already lived a life of endurance and reliance on God. He had been readied for the moment. And James is giving us an important life lesson here. Our pain is often what has developed us and strengthened us and allowed us to grow. And if you tell me what has wounded you and challenged you, I think I'll be able to tell you what has made you, formed you, uh, formed you into the person that you are today, for better or, or for worse. Trials create a, a moment to either develop perseverance or to become a quitter on the sidelines of life. You know, for some of y'all, your trials have actually made you better. And for some of y'all, your trials have made you bitter. Because of in a trial, you have this decision you can turn to God or you can turn away from God. So there's this very little, is there a middle ground when, um, when you're really in the teeth of a challenge like this? And if you turn to him, then your faith goes higher up and deeper in. But that's a tall order, right? Like who can do that on their own? I, I'd say none of us. And that's where James uh, goes next. So let's keep reading. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they are unstable in everything they do. Here, it's like James is anticipating our questions and our objections. You know, we hear this challenge to endure in trials. And, and you know, if you're like me, first thought is like, yeah, but how do you pull that off? You know, I don't think I'm strong enough. And in the next sentence, James says, and here's how you pull it off if you don't think you're strong enough. If you need help, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't see how you can hang on and see this through, God stands ready. And God will make uh, every effort to help you endure for his sake with absolute, utter, complete generosity. Yeah, it's good to ask for help. You're supposed to ask for help. And that help will come 
at the point of your most strategic need. I, I, I find how James describes this so encouraging. He says, ask our generous God. He's reminding us who we pray to. He's reminding us of the kind of God uh, that we sing about. Uh, we go to the one, this good, good father, who's eager to supply what we need during challenges. And then he adds, because some would have need to hear this, um, this is also the God who won't rebuke us for being needy. I'll bet some of y'all growing up, uh, uh, or maybe some of you have a boss like this right now, who's like, ah, oh, come on. You, you need help with this again? What's wrong with you? That is not our God, okay? God wants us to come to him in just the way um, where, where we, we ask for him to give us wisdom, to meet our needs. So you can and you should go to God with your confusion, your doubt, your hurt, your anxiety, your weakness, your sense of not knowing which way is up. You can be real with God, authentic with God, cringy with God, as the kids say, weak with God, and God will give you what you need to endure. And all of the things that we could ask for, should ask for, there's one that James says should be at the top of your list. Wisdom. Wisdom. Why? Uh, that may not have been the first thing that came to your mind. Some people think, if I just had enough money, I could essentially buy my way out of any jam. Actually, the key to enduring is wisdom. The wisdom to know how God wants you to handle what you're going through. The wisdom to know how to persevere, how to endure. God's wisdom will help you make decisions, navigate tough waters, know what to do, know what not to do. Wisdom to know how to avoid calamities that are just around the corner that God sees and you don't. But then you have to do it. You have to follow that wisdom. You'll see this whole book of James is this wonderful duality, this rhythm of faith and action. Thinking the right things, but also doing the right things. Hearing from God, but also following what he says, living it out. See, here's what we tend to do when we're faced with, with difficulties. We tend to think things through on our own. We um, use our intellect, our own logic, uh, try to come and figure the best way out of a jam. We make lists of pros and cons. We spend hours researching on Google. That's not what James is talking about. What James is saying is this. Instead of Googling, pray. Instead of chat GPT, instead of relying on your own thinking and experience, how about rely first and foremost on the supernatural wisdom that God makes available to us? The wisdom that, that knows so much more about things that you couldn't possibly know. But that's not all. For God's wisdom to flow into our lives at our point of greatest need, it demands something on our end beyond praying. You can't go to God in some half-hearted, superficial, one foot in, one foot out, last resort, tacked on at the end kind of idea. Come to God as your plan A. 
not just one of many options that you're testing out. I have to relearn this lesson all the time. Sometimes Vicky will say, well, let's pray about it. And I'll go, oh, let's come to this. Think about the word picture James gave us. Let me read it again. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That's a clear picture. A wave tossed on the sea out in the open ocean on the surface going here and there. You know, not attached to anything. Just blown around by the wind. Some of y'all getting seasick right now, just thinking about it. Please don't throw up on the person in front of you. Um, we got some seasick people in here. And, and James calls it divided loyalty. It's an interesting word. Uh, this, this Greek word for divided literally means of two souls. Maybe one with God, one not with God. Divided. And not surprisingly, James says that ain't going to work. You can't do your faith that way. You can't go to God one day and then abandon God the next. And, and when that doesn't work, go back to God the next day. You, you can't be looking to God one minute and looking somewhere else the next. You have to decide. You have to purpose in your heart whether you're going to get through this with God or apart from God. If, if you want the wisdom God has for your life, Go all in with God. You can yell at him. You can cry to him. You can shake your fist at him. You can bury your head on his shoulder and weep until you don't think you have another tear left in your body. But it's all to him and in the context of your relationship with him because he is your God. You have settled. You have determined that there is nowhere else to turn. And no one else you'd want to turn to. Uh, James is saying if you want to meet your trial with endurance based on wisdom from God so that you can, um, uh, that he can be made complete in your life, then you, you have to have an authentic, committed relationship with God. Otherwise, you can't expect God to come through for you because you haven't fully invited him into your life as your God. That, that's where some of you are at. God is sort of a life coach, you know? He'll, he'll give you some tips and tricks like, uh, like an influencer, but you haven't really surrendered. You're like a wave on the ocean. You have two souls. You never centered your life on God, and you're, not, um, you're maybe not going through a mess right now, but one day you're going to be hit hard. And the trial you are in is going to be very real. And it's going to drop you to one knee. And, and you've turned to everyone you can, everything you can to get through it, and it's not working. Well, you've got down on one knee. Well, isn't it time to get down on the other one? And take your challenge, your trouble, your trial to the only one who can help you through it. Next, James uh, turns to making sure that as people go through whatever they're going through in this world, that they would maintain this perspective of joy in what is being accomplished. That in, in many ways they are being trusted with the trial. That God is giving them actually 
a privileged opportunity to grow, to deepen their faith. And here's how he puts it. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. Huh? For God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. You know, James knows our human tendency is not to see trials through the lens of endurance and deepening faith and joy. Um, That's not how we look at things. We see someone who is poor, we see them as not being blessed. And someone rich as being blessed, as having God's favor. In other words, a trial-free life, we think, is the life that is to be celebrated. And James turns that thinking on its head. The truth is that those who face the toughest of times are given an opportunity of enormous life change and are creating something that money could never buy, actually. And it will actually outlast this world as we know it. Uh, The thing is called character. The thing is called sanctification as Gus talked about. A tighter commitment to God, an enlarged spiritual life, um, making a difference beyond anything that we, we could have made had we not gone through that trial. Frank knows what I'm talking about. Brent knows what I'm talking about. Bonnie gets it. The Beishausens know. Josephine knows. The Prudhams know. Malika and Kamer know. You've experienced the kind of disappointment and loss that has only made your faith more personal and powerful. You know all of the stuff of this world is not going to survive. We're not going to take any of it with us. None of your money, your house, your boat, your land, your clothes, your jewelry, none of it is making out of this world. Only your soul, only your character, only your love for God and your love for his people. So don't get confused about what's really going on in this short time that we have on this earth. God is in the soul-making business. And that's the only business that ultimately matters. So James says, don't envy the rich. Envy the poor. Don't envy the ones free of trouble. Look at the ones facing a dark night of the soul. Uh, hanging on to God with all that they have in them, praying that they would see it through and become who God is calling them to be, those are the ones to envy. I had to really wrestle with that this week because what we're seeing is a miracle in progress. We're seeing a formidable life being formed before our very eyes. It's so counterintuitive to us. I mean... I haven't, I haven't figured this out in my own life, but I'm coming around in my thinking that God can use the trials to help make a better Jonathan, to make a better pastor for Nack. So this is clear to James that he adds these words, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You know, the Greek uh, term used there for crown was the one typically used for that wreath 
that was placed on the head of a victorious athlete or a, or a military leader after winning a battle. You know, folks, we're in a real-life battle here, a test of sorts. It only lasts about 70 years, maybe 90 if you're lucky. And in the end, if we endure, we will receive the crown of life. Do you have that picture, Rex, of what that crown of life looked like? Yeah, victorious. The only medal that matters, the only award, the only honor that counts. But things like illness or financial setback or persecution are not the only trials we can face, are they? Uh, along with the external challenges are the internal ones, the war within us, the battle we face with our personal sin. That's a different kind of trial. And listen, this is important. It's not one God brings our way. Um, it still must be met with endurance, but, but don't look on it as God created, uh, like some kind of God trap. Because James is clear. Verse 13, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say... God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. James wants to make it real clear that the choice is ours. The choice to ask for wisdom is ours. The choice to be all in with God is ours. The choice to... Leave God and sin to abandon the way of God? That's our choice. God does not tempt you to sin. God might allow things into our life to challenge our faith, but he's, he does not tempt us to sin. So James lays out this progression of how sin works real clearly. I hope you caught it. First it begins through our desires. Then that desire, if left unchecked, leads to sin a willful act, a conscious choice. Then the sin, confessed, turned from, dealt with, or sorry, unconfessed, leads to death, spiritual death. Which is why endurance is not just about challenges or tough times or a bad economy. It's about resisting sin, not being sin-free, but a life of resisting it. Uh, and that takes endurance. Um, you're going to sin, folks. Most of you before church is over. And the question is, are you fighting it? Are you resisting it? That's the key. You may fall flat on your face. You may fail in the midst of trying to endure. But just don't give in to it. Ask God to forgive you. Dust yourself off. And then get back into the fight. Learn from your mistake. Endure. Endure. Which brings James, and then we'll close with this, to his concluding thought about all things endurance in the face of trials, whether external or internal. Here's what he says. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. I mean, that's a mic drop moment right there. 
Such a beautiful and stirring way to end this initial conversation on James. It's almost as if he's saying, here's why you endure. Here's how you can endure. Here's why through God that that's the story you'll tell. Is that why I did endure. It's because every good and perfect gift comes from him. It's because he can be trusted. Um, He never changes on us. And he brought us to spiritual life. He saved us. We've been spiritually reborn. And through that, we are precious daughters. We are cherished sons. You'll testify to the battles you've won. Uh, with Christ as your portion. That's the story that you'll tell if you endure. 